Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. And a pleasant good afternoon to you. Oops, we're getting a little return audio. Can you fix your mix minus there, if you would, please, uh, Nate, so I'm not hearing myself? Yeah, the audience is supposed to hear me, but me, not so much. All right, we'll just dump that uh, return while you get that mixed mind to straighten out. While he does that, we welcome you to the Tuesday edition of Lifeline for this 25th day of August. Off to a start, brand new week, and of course, a brand new and second week of convention coverage. Is uh, Tonight, we begin with the coverage of the Republican National Convention that got underway yesterday. Coming up later on, we'll be joined by constitutional lawyer Brad Dacus with some commentary, along with Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. The theme of the first night of the Republican National Convention was America, Land of Promise, a hopeful message punctuated at times by speeches that warmed of impending national collapse if Donald Trump is not reelected come November. At one point early on, shouting into the podium from an empty room, Kimberly Guffoyle, the former Fox News personality, said Democrats, quote, want to destroy the country to the point that you'll not recognize this country or yourself, close quote. When it was the turn of Donald Trump's son, Donald Trump Jr., author of the book Triggered, How the Left Thrives on Hate and Wants to Silence Us, He alternated between a more hopeful vision of American greatness along with contempt for those that he says are standing in the way of it and at one point took note of the impact of the COVID-19 virus which had come to the United States, quote, courtesy of the Chinese Communist Party, close quote. So true. At last week's Democrat National Convention, Joe Biden was contracted with Donald Trump in terms of both policy and character. Biden, who suffered the loss of his first wife and daughter in a 1972 automobile accident and, more recently, the death of his son to cancer in 2015, was lauded as a person of empathy whose human connection helps guide the decisions he makes. Republicans yesterday, and again no doubt today, insist that that comparison is actually one of Trump's defining virtues. Trump would call to check on throughout the weeks, according to one gentleman who said that he was dealing with health issue and complications related to having been a victim of the shootings at the baseball game in Washington, D.C. several years ago. Nikki Haley, the former governor of South Carolina and former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, showed why many Republicans believe she is the future of the party, delivering a strong speech that, while hammering Biden for what she called his socialist views, also told an American success story. While rumors early on circulated in the lead-up to the convention that Trump might ditch Mike Pence and name Haley as his running mate for the 2020 election, that, of course, did not happen. 
Her speech, however, yesterday, Monday, the first day of the convention, boosted Haley's prospects of rising to the top of the Republican Party. As our coverage gets underway, we begin first with an address by the owner of Sunshine Gasoline Company and a gentleman who escaped communist Cuba in the early 1960s, Maximo Alvarez. Hello, my name is Maximo Alvarez. Hello, my name is Maximo Alvarez. I live in Miami, Florida, not far from the state of Florida, which is in just a 90-mile white blue strip on a map for me. It divides freedom from fear. It divides the past from the present, from the future. I know all about the past. I'll never forget my own. My family has fled totalitarianism and communism more than once. First my dad from Spain, then from Cuba. But my families don't run away. By the grace of God, I live the American dream, the greatest blessing I ever had. My dad, who only had a sixth grade education, told me, don't lose this place. You'll never be as well against me. I'm speaking to you today because my family is done abandoning what we rightfully earned. There's no place to hide. I'm speaking to you today because President Trump may not always be politically correct. He's in fact a successful businessman, not your average career politician. Our president is just another family man, a friend, and most important, our elected commander-in-chief who puts America first. Keep in mind the other guy running for president is mostly concerned about power. Yes, yes, power for them but not for the benefit of all Americans. I'm speaking to you today because I have seen people like this before. I've seen movements like this before. I've seen ideas like this before. And I am here to tell you, we cannot let them take over our country. I heard the promises of Fidel Castro, and I can never forget all those who grew up around me who look like me, who suffered and starved and died because they believed those empty promises. They swallowed the communist poison pill. If you have a chance, go to the Freedom Tower in Miami. Stop and listen. You can still hear the sounds of those broken promises. It is the sound of waves in the ocean, carrying families clinging to pieces of wood. Families with children who can swim, but willing to risk everything to reach this blessed land. It is the sound of tears hitting the paper of an application to become an American citizen. Most heard and liked the promises, but soon after, they experienced the reality. Look at them. Listen to them, learn the truth. Those false promises spread the wealth. Free education, free health care, 
Defund the police? Trust the socialist state more than your family and your community? They don't sound radical to my ears. They sound familiar. And Fidel Castro was asked if he was a communist. He said he was a Roman Catholic. He knew he had to hide the truth. But the country I was born in is gone, totally destroyed. When I watch the news in Seattle, Chicago, Portland, and other cities, when I see the history being rewritten, when I hear the promises, I've heard echoes, I've heard echoes of the former life I never wanted to hear again. I see shadows I thought I had outrun. My parents only wanted one person to decide my fate, me. Not some party member, not some government official, not some bureaucrat. In America, I would decide my own future. I am so grateful to America, the place where I was able to build my American dream through hard work and determination. President Trump knows that the American story was written by people just like you and I, who love our country and take risks to build a future for our families and neighbors. I may be a Cuban born, but I am 100% American. This is the greatest country in the world. And I said this before, if I gave away everything that I have today, it would not equal 1% of what I was given when I came to this great country of ours. The gift of freedom. Right now, it is up to us to decide our fate and to choose freedom over oppression. President Trump, he's fighting the forces of anarchy and communism. And I know he will continue to do just that. And what about his opponent and the rest of the DC swamp? I have no doubt they will hand the country over to those dangerous forces. You and I will decide. And here's what I've decided. My decision is very easy. I choose President Trump because I choose America. I choose freedom. I still hear my dad. There is no other place to go. Thank you, and may the good Lord bless America. You're listening to Decision 2020, highlights of the Republican National Convention on AM 1100 KFAX.
Welcome back to Decision 2020, highlights of the Republican National Convention here on KFAX. As we continue our coverage, one of the uh, more stellar addresses of the evening came from former United Nations Ambassador and former Governor of South Carolina, Nikki Haley. I'll start with a little story. It's about an American ambassador to the United Nations, and it's about a speech she gave to this convention. She called for the re-election of the Republican president she served, and she called out his Democratic opponent, a former vice president from a failed administration. That ambassador said, and I quote, Democrats always blame America first. The year was 1984. The president was Ronald Reagan, and Ambassador Jean Kirkpatrick's words are just as true today. Joe Biden and the Democrats are still blaming America first. Donald Trump has always put America first, and he has earned four more years as president. It was an honor of a lifetime to serve as the United States Ambassador to the United Nations. Now, the UN is not for the faint of heart. It's a place where dictators, murderers, and thieves denounce America and then put their hands out and demand that we pay their bills. Well, President Trump put an end to all of that. With his leadership, we did what Barack Obama and Joe Biden refused to do. We stood up for America, and we stood against our enemies. Obama and Biden let North Korea threaten America. President Trump rejected that weakness, and we passed the toughest sanctions on North Korea in history. Obama and Biden let Iran get away with murder and literally sent them a plane full of cash. President Trump did the right thing and ripped up the Iran nuclear deal. Obama and Biden led the United Nations to denounce our friend and ally, Israel. President Trump moved our embassy to Jerusalem, and when the U.N. tried to condemn us, I was proud to cast the American veto. This president has a record of strength and success. The former vice president has a record of weakness and failure. Joe Biden is good for Iran and ISIS, great for communist China, and he's a godsend to everyone who wants America to apologize, abstain, and abandon our values. Donald Trump takes a different approach. He's tough on China, and he took on ISIS and won, and he tells the world what it needs to hear. At home, the president is the clear choice on jobs and the economy. He's moved America forward, while Joe Biden has held America back. When Joe was VP, I was governor of the great state of South Carolina. We had a pretty good run. Manufacturers of all kinds flocked to our state from overseas, creating tens of thousands of American jobs. People were referring to South Carolina as the beast of the Southeast, which I loved. Everything we did happened in spite of Joe Biden and his old boss. We cut taxes. They raised them. We slashed red tape. They piled on more mandates. And when we brought in good-paying jobs, Biden and Obama sued us. I fought back, and they gave up. 
A Biden-Harris administration would be much, much worse. Last time, Joe's boss was Obama. This time, it would be Pelosi, Sanders, and the squad. Their vision for America is socialism, and we know that socialism has failed everywhere. They want to tell Americans how to live and what to think. They want a government takeover of health care. They want to ban fracking and kill millions of jobs. They want massive tax hikes on working families. Joe Biden and the socialist left would be a disaster for our economy. But President Trump is leading a new era of opportunity. Before communist China gave us the coronavirus, we were breaking economic records left and right. The pandemic has set us back, but not for long. President Trump brought our economy back before, and he will bring it back again. There's one more important area where our president is right. He knows that political correctness and cancel culture are dangerous and just plain wrong. In much of the Democratic Party, it's now fashionable to say that America is racist. That is a lie. America is not a racist country. This is personal for me. I am the proud daughter of Indian immigrants. They came to America and settled in a small southern town. My father wore a turban. My mother wore a sari. I was a brown girl in a black and white world. We faced discrimination and hardship, but my parents never gave in to grievance and hate. My mom built a successful business. My dad taught 30 years at a historically black college and the people of South Carolina chose me as their first minority and first female governor. America is a story that's a work in progress. Now is the time to build on that progress and make America even freer, fairer, and better for everyone. That's why it's so tragic to see so much of the Democratic Party turning a blind eye towards riots and rage. The American people know we can do better, and of course we value and respect every black life. The black cops who've been shot in the line of duty, they matter. The black small business owners who've watched their life's work go up in flames, they matter. The black kids who've been gunned down on the playground, their lives matter too. And their lives are being ruined and stolen by the violence on our streets. It doesn't have to be like this. It wasn't like this in South Carolina five years ago. Our state came face to face with evil. A white supremacist walked into Mother Emanuel Church during Bible study. Twelve African Americans pulled up a chair and prayed with him for an hour. Then he began to shoot. After that horrific tragedy, we didn't turn against each other. We came together, black and white, Democrat and Republican. Together, we made the hard choices needed to heal and removed a divisive symbol peacefully and respectfully. What happened then should give us hope now. America isn't perfect, but the principles we hold dear are perfect. If there's one thing I've learned, it's that even on our worst day, 
We are blessed to live in America. It's time to keep that blessing alive for the next generation. This president and this party are committed to that noble task. We seek a nation that rises together, not falls apart in anarchy and anger. We know that the only way to overcome America's challenges is to embrace America's strengths. We are striving to reach a brighter future where every child goes to a world-class school chosen by their parents, where every family lives in a safe community with good jobs, where every entrepreneur has the freedom to achieve and inspire, where every believer can worship without fear and every life is protected, where every girl and boy, every woman and man of every race and religion has the best shot at the best life. In this election, we must choose the only candidate who has and who will continue delivering on that vision. President Trump and Vice President Pence have my support, and America has our promise. We will build on the progress of our past and unlock the promise of our future. That future starts when the American people re-elect President Donald Trump. Thank you, good night, and may God always bless America. You're listening to Decision 2020, highlights of the Republican National Convention on AM 1100 KFAX. Welcome back to Decision 2020, highlights of the Republican National Convention here on KFAX. Before we get back to more convention coverage, I want to pivot to two critical topics that no doubt will be discussed through the course of the convention this week and will be on the minds of many people as they go to their polling place on November the 3rd, and that is the dual-edged sword issues of religious liberty and educational freedom in our country. Both have been under attack in different forms and different fashions, but certainly we've seen um, almost a dual track in recent months, what with the impact of COVID-19 on um, education across the country, along with an alarming increase of cases of religious liberty, be it peaceful protest of a pastor at an event and suddenly has been jailed and arrested for simply standing in a public sidewalk and not even engaged in any speech at all, just simply having a presence there. And um, we've also seen cases, of course, where churches attempt to um, build on a piece of property that they've purchased, and suddenly the local municipality decides, nope, they're not going to create any foot traffic in relationship to um, sales or revenue stream for the municipality, so they'd rather see some other sort of business instead of a church. With some insights, we're joined by constitutional lawyer, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus. And Brad, yours is one of those jobs where one would hope that you would work hard enough to work yourself out of a job. <laughs> but sadly, it remains in many 
parts of the West Coast and elsewhere in the country that this attack and assault on religious liberty uh, seems to be doing just the opposite. In spite of best efforts, um, the 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 sense of how fragile our First Amendment rights are in this country seem to be growing. Yeah, Craig, it, it's uh, unusual times that we live in that uh, on one hand, um, we see, you know, you know, people sharing their faith, living their faith, uh, and at the other, on the other spectrum, what we see is a, a, a warfare and hostility towards people of faith, towards churches, ministries, pastors, uh, you know, churches being closed down, not for a short period of time, being closed down while others are allowed to, other businesses and entities are allowed to open with no problem, uh, if you're in a blue state, that is. So, and not a red state. So it's it, it's very um, troubling. It's very unusual, uh, and yet uh, I think that there are still uh, golden opportunities that are opening up for uh, the church to take advantage of, even amidst this uh, unheard of, unparalleled uh, hostility that uh, the churches are having to face. Certainly, this has put a lot of stress on the religious, uh, the Freedom Restoration Act, uh, uh, along with, as you point out the impact of COVID-19 and a a disproportionate amount of control placed on religious institutions where the same kind of controls in relationship to attendance numbers and gatherings and regulations related to all of that uh, seem to be lacking when it comes to, well, quite frankly, those businesses that create revenue streams. And um, we, we talked recently about a community, for example, in the Pacific Northwest up in Oregon uh, that um, has been giving some pushback in relationship to the establishment of a firm or a bar, I guess we'll call it, that uh, wants to uh, wants to attract customers by uh, putting on shows that are um, traditionally, how should we call them, more appropriate for Las Vegas than maybe a bedroom community and uh, seeing yet once again a church having to to rise up and and hold the line not only in terms of being able to to protect itself but most importantly children yeah that was an interesting case uh, matter that we took on and uh, we weighed in on that to empower that local government to uh, to keep out uh, this um, uh, inappropriate facility particularly uh, when it's located literally right next to a church where they have youth group meetings and and the like, uh, you know, they we helped them adopt a policy to have a uh, at least 500 feet uh, uh, distance from uh, such an establishment uh, like that, uh, and, and places where kids, where children gather or congregate. And uh, so, there's positive things that can occur when churches uh, decide to step up and they don't just surrender. And then we have examples of of pastors who are uh, even dealing with even high, much higher stakes, standing up for their religious freedoms, like Pastor John MacArthur and, and others, who said, uh, you know, we're, we are not going to, some, some churches say, you know, we, we can't have outdoor service, but others say, we can't minister this way, our church is suffering, our people are suffering, we're going to have our, our church services, uh, and uh, they're suffering tremendous uh, pushback and uh, up and down the state, while at the same time we have hundreds and hundreds of, of churches and pastors still having their church services, saying, you know, as for uh, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, we will not forsake the congregating together. So the intensity is great, um, and that's why we are so busy at Pacific Justice Institute 
uh, defending and equipping churches uh, like this all the time. In fact, tomorrow we have a Zoom call, or Thursday, excuse me, Thursday we have a Zoom call at uh, 2 p.m. Pacific time uh, that people can register on our website. And it's, it's just to giving churches and church leaders and pastors and private school directors uh, the latest on, on who's, who's being prosecuted, um, you know, who's having success, how do they overcome this. Uh, it's like nothing I've ever seen before, Craig. And in addition to the, the very critical topic of religious liberty, uh, I want to pivot for a moment to the matter of educational freedom. No doubt that topic will also be discussed from the dais, from the podium rather, during the course of the uh, the remaining days of the Republican National Convention. This has been a, a hotbed of controversy, not just in terms of whether or not the federal government ought to be the one that has the final say in the reopening of schools, or, or local municipalities, but then, too, it brings about, I think, once again, under sharp focus, Counselor, the broader question of educational freedom. And I know you and I have talked um, off and on down through the, the years about things like school choice, voucher programs, things of that sort. Do you think that we're ever going to see a day in an age, and, and might there be aspects of the fallout of COVID-19 that could help spur on further advancements in giving parents the freedom to choose not only how they educate their children, where they educate their children, and the financial freedom to do so? Well, absolutely. In fact, I know President Trump uh, didn't hesitate to come out and and say, look, school districts, if you're not going to open, then uh, I want to to enable parents to have vouchers so they can put their child in a school that is opening that's according to their beliefs and convictions of what they feel is best for their child. That concept, I think, is having a new birth in America. Right? 17 states already have some kind of voucher system set up. Um, it's the most important big elephant in the middle of the room when we talk about inequality, racial inequality and opportunity. Uh, when you compare the urban city uh, school districts uh, with those of nicer government school districts in, in uh, suburbia, it's night and day. And until that's resolved, and the only way of that being resolved, in my opinion, is to have parental choice, school choice, uh, where these parents in the inner city where they're getting such an unequal quality of education, such a lower education, can have their kids break out of that and have real opportunities. So I think this is uh, should be something of a discussion. It's, it's, it's the number one determiner in, in the eyes of many uh, for the inequality of opportunity that we, we see in our, in our nation. And I think uh, that's something I'm really glad that is being addressed uh, by the, the RNC at this convention um, and also uh, by the president. So that's, uh, that, is, that is encouraging, but it, it, it needs to be addressed. And also we have the, the, the radicalism of sex education, Greg, in our, in our government schools. And many parents are saying, yeah, educational quality, education is great, but I don't want my child in the spiritual genocide that's now being implemented in our government schools. Uh, we talk about that in a film that has an encore presentation this Friday. Uh, people can sign up on our website and watch it. It's it's shocking. It's adults only. It's very explicit, the pictures and everything. But it's exactly what the children will be exposed to. I think that's going to be a big motivator. I'm convincing many parents to not only uh, want to be, look for private schools, but also homeschool consortiums in cooperation with their local church, with parents working together. And undoubtedly, if that is not motivator enough for many parents to choose private homeschooling or parochial education, I'm not certain what <laughs> what could wake them up. It, it is uh, indeed um, a film that will offend you, and by all rights, you should be offended. 
particularly when you consider the fact that it's part of the curricula that's required virtually down to all grades across the entire state of California. We're talking about kids that are 8, 9, 10 years old being exposed to this. You want to say, what exactly is it? Well, check it out. Again, you can register for the Encore presentation by going to pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. And uh, you'll register online to see the documentary Sex Ed, Let Parents Decide. You'll get a special link by return email, and then you can watch that in the privacy and convenience of your own home. Sex Ed, Let Parents Decide. And then again, you can register to see the Encore presentation by going to pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. Org. Our thanks to Brad Dacus, constitutional lawyer, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, for being with us. You're listening to Decision 2020, highlights of the Republican National Convention on AM 1100 KFAX. away from the hour of six o'clock and it is decision 2020 highlights of the republican national convention here on am 1100 kfax one of the key issues that no doubt will be a running theme throughout the course of the convention is the issue of judicial appointments not only at the federal level but certainly to the united states supreme court and how pivotal that topic is to the issue of pro-life Joining me now is the Western Regional Director of the National Right to Life Committee and host of Life Matters, heard every Saturday at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX. He is Brian Johnston. Brian, is always great to have you with us. We've certainly seen some amazing steps in the right direction over the course of the last four years. Oh, to be sure, there have been some losses in the courts on the topic of uh, pro-life, but to the broader degree... With some of the uh, federal judge appointments and certainly the adjunct- the appointments of uh, both Brett Kavanaugh and uh, and uh, the other justice to the U.S. Supreme Court, Neil Gorsuch, in the course of the last couple of years, um, very critical and no doubt will continue to be a critical topic in relationship to the abortion issue. No, clearly, Craig, and what we have here in this current convention is you're seeing a stark contrast to worldviews that really the Republican convention, I think Tim Scott really nailed it last night, but clarifying the vision of America as based on the value of each and every individual life as unique, an incredible, incredible premise. The Democrat Party, as we know, has taken a different perspective, and that is, to put group against group, and so groups are what matter. And the Democrat Party is out to establish group contrast and comparison and bring up one group or bring down another group. And that's actually an old saw that goes back to history, what we call tribalism, my side, 
I want my guys, I want my types to get better treatment. But that's not what America's built on. We are built not on, you're not born into royalty in America. You're not born into a group. You may be, but it's the fact that you're an individual endowed by your creator with certain inalienable rights. And in the Judeo-Christian principle, we know it clearly as we are made in the image of God. So there is something unique in every individual and the American experiment in history, and again, it's been it's been 200-some-odd years, and it is fragile. It's not an easy thing. It can easily be taken from us. So we have to understand this contrast. And I think the Republican Party, and really as President Trump has demonstrated, he's willing to fight for that principle of the value of each individual to stand, and that we help individuals. I saw he just... He just granted a pardon to an amazing individual. He just did that now. And so each individual needs to be judged on the content of their character and not on their particular national origin or the color of their skin. A very important contrast, and it's the basis of our freedoms in America. Let's talk for a moment, if you would, about some of the the specific goals that you feel would be kind of the, the, the top priority in the coming four years. As I mentioned, certainly uh, judicial appointments seem to be, uh, at least in the, in the uh, medium range, top of that list. But movement toward legislation, can there anything be done uh, if, if we see a change, not only in, 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 in the appointment of uh, perhaps an additional Supreme Court justice, but maybe a change in the makeup of the House come November? Could there be further opportunities at restricting some of the more outlandish, um, more egregious aspects of abortion on demand in America? That's right, and I think that's what we're starting to see. You and I have talked about this, but you know, here in California, on the federal level, they're trying to get, but Congress is stopping it under Nancy Pelosi, they're trying to get a uh, Born Alive Infant Protection Act, so that in these late-term abortions that are going on, they're not talked about on NBC, ABC, PBS, even BBC. They don't talk about that. But they're happening. And there are children who are born alive inadvertently, and they're just tossed in the trash. And that is something that will, it's, it's been proposed, only two Democrats have signed on, but the fact is, is if we take the House back, that could be passed. As we've mentioned, Craig, before in your program, we actually have that as law in California. That's on the books because there are late-term abortions done in California. And we have a Born Alive Infant Protection Act. Here's the problem. Our governor and this administration now in California simply ignores it. They refuse to enforce that. The good news, and you know this, I just... Just an hour ago, talked to city council member in Lake Forest, that's down in Orange County near Irvine, and they're passing an unborn resolution that is the unborn sanctuary city. And basically they're saying, look, we're a city in California, but we have to take exception to California law and what our governor's doing. Unlimited abortion, late term, of healthy children, 
Inside healthy mothers, there's no medical reason, and yet our state's paying for it. And if the child's born alive, you can throw that child out. City council, this is significant, because they are elected members of city council saying, we must demur, we must say, I'm sorry, this is not right. These are significant as these resolutions go forward because it's bringing attention to the real meaning of choice, to the real practice of abortion, which the media has refused to deeply examine. They want it to be, oh, it's about women's rights. Oh, it's about reproductive rights. And if you disagree, it's because of your religion. Shut up. It's because you don't like women. Shut up. But we want to talk about what this is about. And so... As the light of day comes on these things, yes, in California, we can only talk about it because of the administration. But these cities are passing these resolutions saying, we will talk about it. We will be voices for these children. And on the national level, if we take Congress back, we can have hopes. If Nancy Pelosi isn't stopping it, we know this president will sign it. A protection for children who are born alive in abortion. And... That's hugely significant because it brings across the humanity of this child and just how extreme the Roe and Doe decisions really are and why they have to be opposed. And as you've made the the important distinction, this is a battle that is won day by day, inch by inch, foot by foot, keeping the public dialogue moving forward. A vast majority of Americans, in fact, do not support abortion on demand in America. You'd be hard-pressed to believe that by what comes out of, for example, the legislature here in California. But that, in fact, is the case. And so uh, critical that we move forward both in terms of advancements on the political front and certainly keeping the dialogue going on the national forefront and the local forefront, as Brian Johnson suggests with a number of these uh, critical statements, these resolutions that are being passed by municipalities and communities all over the state and the nation. More information, we invite you to tune in every Saturday at 11 o'clock for Life Matters, the program hosted by Brian Johnston of the California Pro-Life Council. Information about the broadcast as well as, of course, uh, resources, podcasts, and other details at CaliforniaProLife.org. That's California. CaliforniaProLife.org. You're listening to Decision 2020, highlights of the Republican National Convention on AM 1100 KFAX.